0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here for another episode of the Prospect Podcast. And on this episode, we're gonna continue the top five position rankings with offensive tackles and edge rushers. Before I begin, and this is what's great about this being my own podcast, I can go in any direction I want, very grateful for that. I want to just talk about a, something that I don't hear or see discussed too often before the NFL draft. That a few episodes ago, actually, let's see, five or six episodes ago, I talked about scouting misconceptions a long time ago. I talked about how bias factors in and how I really try to avoid bias, and it's all true. Listen to the scouting Misconceptions podcast and the bias episode. That was really a lot of fun for me to do. It was completely like off the radar It from what I've normally been doing with a lot of analysis. It's good to kind of dive deep into the grading system. And I do try to stay away from bias actively. And I especially stay out of the echo chamber. That was kind of at the end of that bias episode on March 16th. But I think it is also important to talk about kind of the counter to doing your own evaluations, not being swayed by groupthink and what the NFL is probably going to do. And while everything that you hear from me on the Prospect Podcast, on Matt's Purple Insider, on Monday, the Chris Passo draft show that we're doing uh, all the way through the draft and then like three or four weeks after the draft is all my authentic evaluations of this draft class of the players in it. But I do think, and this is, I really like to play devil's advocate with myself. I've said that before. I do think it's important to have a firm grasp on what the NFL as a whole is thinking. And I, I get that there are times and we're going to hear it this year. A player will go in round two and a team, it'll come out that a team was almost going to pick him in round one. Whether that be true or not, I do think that does happen and it shows that the draft range for a player can be can really just hinge on one team and a guy that goes in round two might not have been a round two prospect for every single team or obviously, you know, round three, round four, it's it's all the same, but it's important to know where a player ultimately will probably fall. For a few reasons. One, I think in general, the NFL does an amazing job identifying the college players that are suited to play in the NFL. Yes, there are busts, and there will be, we'll look back on the 2021 first round, there will most likely be 5 to 10 Pro Bowlers, 5 to 10 solid players, 5 to 10 busts, complete busts, and then like a few that are just middle of the road players that maybe belonged in the second or third round, but went in round one in general, though, the league is very good. The scouts, the GMs, these are football guys that have been doing it for their entire careers that are in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, for some teams in the seventies, they know what they're doing in general. Do I think that that means we should just sit back and say, Oh, all these picks are are perfect and and give no criticism. Absolutely not. Like that's, certainly not what I think. And I think there is a plenty of room for someone like myself to be a, and for the many other draft analysts out there to just give their own evaluations and say, I don't think whatever Mac Jones is a top tier prospect. And he might go inside the top 10. And right after the draft say, I watched him, I evaluated him. I graded him. This is a bad selection. Maybe you'll be wrong. Maybe Mac Jones will be great. Maybe you'll be right. It'll be, Different from what the NFL is thinking. But we have to remember that, again, this is a gigant hundreds and hundreds of men and women that are scouting these players that have been doing it for a long time. They do a pretty good job overall. Also, and more importantly, that's kind of like a general statement that doesn't have a a ton of impact because I I still think it's completely fine. And we all should be questioning every single pick almost or, or, you know, scrutinizing it to a certain degree. And just if you're reading someone's article or listening to a podcast, I want to hear what they think, not what they believe the NFL is going to do. But more importantly, draft position is absolutely vital. Like where a player is picked plays a huge role in his NFL success, not just where he's picked, meaning what team he lands on in the situation. That obviously matters. I'm saying, when he's picked, that was probably the better word to use. When he is picked for a handful of reasons. Number one, someone who's picked in the first round is going to get every opportunity to succeed. He's going to get more reps, whether it doesn't matter the position. He's going to get more reps when he messes up, he's going to get more opportunities to rebound as compared to a second rounder. And I think it goes, just uh, falls off a cliff. It's a straight line down. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. If you're a seventh rounder, you're getting the fewest reps at the beginning of camp. If you have a bad rep, you're not going to get another rep until the end of practice, something like that. So I think that is huge. And when you're a sixth or a seventh rounder, we've seen just historically, like every position, there are almost like cliffs that if you're picking a wide receiver in round six, there is just not a lot of historical relevance or, or like historical examples of six-round wide receivers not named Antonio Brown who have gone on to be even serviceable wide receivers. And for as many as you can say Antonio Brown and there's there's others, there've been hundreds of six round wide receivers wide receivers that have been out of the league in a year to three years or never materialized really to anything. So you have to kind of say like, man, okay, if this, like, where is this player going to go? Who I really like as a sleeper, is he going to get like undrafted or, or or is he not going to be picked? Is he going to go in the seventh round? Because that will, even if you do truly believe, and I've had this happen with a lot of players, if you truly believe that he's really good and you slap a big grade on him, but he goes in round seven, the odds are stacked against him just on his draft position. One example that popped into my head today when I was thinking about this episode was Auden Tate from, the, from Florida State that got drafted by the Bengals in the seventh round. I think I had like a second or a third round grade on him. I was like, this is a rebounder that is athletic. He didn't test well. I remember that. But he looked very athletic on film. wasn't crazy productive at Florida State. the The quarterback play was was post Jameis Winston was not fantastic. It was actually pretty bad. Goes in the seventh round, and when Mar or when Auden Tate has played, I almost said uh, Marcel Aitman, who's another one that would fall into this category. When Auden Tate has played, he's produced. But the Bengals are like, oh, he's a seventh rounder, like. We can always upgrade from that. Like you get that label on you for your entire career as a seventh round pick. And conversely, when you're a first round pick, you get extra opportunities even after you bust or don't play very well on the team that drafted you. You are a former first round pick, even though it you have shown in your first three to four years in the league that you didn't deserve to go there. But because you went there, you're going to ultimately get another chance with two or three other teams. I think Blaine Gabbert is the ultimate example of that. There's countless other examples as well. And yeah, even with Marcel Aitman, 7th round pick by the Raiders. 6th round pick? No, I think he's a 7th rounder too. 2018 draft class. I really liked him. He's very low volume in terms of the amount of opportunities he's received with the Raiders, but they're always upgrading ahead of him at wide receiver. If for whatever reason he went in the third or the fourth round, I think teams kind of shy away from, hey, we need to upgrade wide receiver because we just picked one in the third or fourth round. What's interesting about that too is what, like I think every GM wants all their picks to hit and especially those first rounders. Financially, it actually makes more sense if like, hey, if we get a seventh rounder who's playing pretty well, he is on a super, cheap contract let's give him more opportunities and, and and see how this sixth or seventh rounder plays because if he ultimately is producing at the same level as our first rounder who yes he's it's all on the rookie wage scale but a first round pick makes a lot more than a even a fourth or a fifth round pick they're still making good money and they're fully guaranteed contracts in the first round so it's not surprising that I think GMs push it a little bit. The directors of college scouting are like, hey, get my first rounder in there, my second rounder in there. But where you're ultimately picked, I think, is absolutely vital. Uh, prime example in this draft class, and I'll get to the rankings, Daz Newsom from North Carolina. I have a second round grade on him. I, I feel very good about it too because he's so dynamic after the catch. He plays like a returner when he's catching... A tunnel screen and he's a fantastic returner, there's not a lot of buzz for him. And he did not test very well at his pro day. Like most projections are him sixth, seventh round. Like he'll probably get drafted. He went over a thousand yards in twenty nineteen. And I think his return ability will help him stick on a team, the special teams, uh, capabilities that he has. But if he's a sixth or a seventh round pick, it's all of a sudden basically the main reason being that he's going to be at the bottom of the depth chart and he's gonna have to ace everything he does early on in camp in the preseason uh, early in his career if he doesn't then he might not ultimately even make a team or if he does and i firmly believe he will make a team and be good i also realize that you know there is a legitimate uh, hindrance. To his ultimate success in the NFL, if he's not picked somewhere between you know the second to fourth round, that at wide receiver, there are just not that many wide receivers who go in the sixth round and then ultimately become very good. So you have to I, like I'm not changing any of my grades, uh, but I understand, and I think that's why I why there are whether it be me or any other draft analyst you see that if they really like a player or they're really conversely low on a player, like for me, Gregory Rousseau, I have him like in the fourth round. He's going to probably go late first, early second, mid second. He's going to be given every opportunity and he's this raw player and they're going to be still giving him a huge amount of reps in practice and in the preseason and early on in his second, third season in the NFL, give him every opportunity to reach that potential. It just does not happen when you are a sixth or a seventh round pick. It just doesn't. So that's always important to remember when you're watching the draft, every single pick that occurs on the first day, of course, first rounders, but day two and early day three, those are the players that get a little bit more uh, of a chance baked into how good they could ultimately be, that they are given a better opportunity once they get to the NFL. All right. I want to get that out there. Just, I don't even know what, like, what value that provides, but I, I, for me, looking at how um, I have a lot of differing opinions from what apparently the NFL is thinking, um, and actually check out CBSSports.com right now. I, I just wrote about this almost like my eight hot takes or my unpopular thoughts is how I wrote it in the headline um, on this draft class, just from evaluating the entire class, like just things like I have a Santi Samuel, I had a Patrick Sertan and JC Horn. All those type of things kind of are baked into what I just said about draft position and how it really does factor in. It's a huge factor to how successful a player ultimately is in the NFL, just based on opportunity. All right, so now let's get into edge rusher and offensive tackle. Sorry, I already did edge rusher and linebacker, so we're going to do offensive tackles, uh, and why don't we do tight ends as well. It's not a great tight end class. So I've done corners and safeties, linebackers and ads, you can get those in the feed. My last episode was defensive tackles and interior offensive line. Let's start with offensive tackles. I view this class a little differently than the rest, but here we go. Here's number 5. It's Alex Leatherwood, number 37 overall, 36 overall. From Alabama, here's his scouting report. Thick left tackle who almost, always, who almost has a tall guard's body type. He's quick off the snap and smooth in his kick slide, but is susceptible to counters to the outside because he stops moving his feet after engaging at times or simply can't sustain speed around the pass rushing arc. But he does have a good size arc to the quarterback. Quality power against the run and for the pass. Sturdy, reliable anchor. He really locks out and understands that his long and powerful arms are his friends. At Times gets overly reliant on those arms and leans into his punch after he makes contact, which can get him off balance. Good athlete for his size and can slide back to the inside against counters, but quick moves off the snap are difficult for him because of his aggressive nature and desire to get his long arms on a defender rather quickly and then lock out. Leatherwood is faster than he looks at the second level, and he's a consistent player there. He's rarely out of control he hits his marks and finds linebackers very aware of stunts and delayed blitzes and speaks to his and that speaks to his experience the worries the off-balance reps against swipes or impressive swim moves are slightly worrisome but overall leatherwood is a relatively safe high floor prospect i think leatherwood is the most value or, or underrated tackle in this class that two years in a row high-level play in the SEC at left tackle. You're not going to get that uh, very often outside of the first round. And I think he still could go in the first round. I think if you're betting on it, probably early round two, I think the Cincinnati Bengals, if they don't pick Penny Sewell, and I think they will, they should go Alex Leatherwood in round two. The top of round two, Alex Leatherwood, he's not, I don't think he'll ever be an all-pro, but I think he's just going to be a quality left tackle for a long time number four and here's where the controversy starts Rashawn slater at northwestern here are my scouting notes on the northwestern tackle fundamentally sound ready to go left tackle in a smaller frame than what's ideal he plays with great leverage and pass protection and has the feet to slide back to the inside against counters he's not overwhelmingly strong but rarely uh but typically plays with a high quality anchor Slater creates a wide arc in his kick slide thanks to quick and relatively long strides. He's not a freaky athlete, but very fluid, reliable combo blocker, and when needing to reach across a gap to drive interior defensive linemen out of the play. He understands when twists are coming and smoothly passes them off. NFL-ready blocker with the athleticism, technique, and deceptive power to be instant impact. So I didn't see Elite... level athleticism like he tested on film but I understand that that is definitely a strength to his game like the way he moves his feet and he's not chaotically doing so he's very controlled when he's kick sliding in pass protection or if he needs to get down the line of scrimmage against a swim move to the inside he can do that Rashawn Slater is not going to be stretched past his limit athletically early in his NFL career I don't, I'm not that worried about his length. He did have arms over 33 inches. That's the threshold that teams like to see. I like to see that too. I'm just worried about the power element that I think he's pretty powerful in the run game. Not crazy powerful, but at a few times I saw him get walked back in the Big 10 into his quarterback. And if that's happening, it's a little bit concerning. He did have the entire year to get stronger because he opted out. So maybe Rashawn Slater will be more powerful in the NFL. I still have him as a first-round prospect. Uh, I have him at 24 overall. He's probably going to go inside the top. He's definitely going to go inside the top 16, maybe even inside the top 10. I like Rashawn Slater. i just a little concerned about the power element to his game. Number three, the offensive tackle spot, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. Tall, thick, experienced tackle who can be a big-time finisher. Impressive quicks for someone who plays with a lot of power and has leg churn when getting downhill. High-level handwork. Constantly looks to reset and slap hands away to control defensive linemen. Jenkins is not a normal amount of kick slides on film, a lot of quick sets, but he continues to move his feet and pass protection to stay balanced. Occasionally leans into a block too much, but it's rare to see. His lateral agility is impressive, but not freakish. Will get to both defenders on a twist. He fires out hard to the second level and is a good, not great player there. A little over anxious In general, Jenkins is an NFL-ready blocker who may get pushed to the athletic limit against speed rushers, but is pretty close to being NFL strong and plays from a balanced base on most plays. The difference with Jenkins and Slater, there's a few differences. Slater gives you a tick more athleticism, and we saw at the Oklahoma State Pro Day, Tevin Jenkins tested very well, too. But Slater gives you more athleticism. Jenkins is taller, he's longer, and he's more powerful right now. So maybe by year three, Slater is at that power threshold that he needs to be. Jenkins is pretty close to that right now. I I always like to shy away from saying that any NFL or any blocker that's coming into the NFL is already NFL strong, because I think you just can't. It's very difficult and very rare to see someone come in and just be super strong immediately. Tristan Wirfs was like breaking Iowa weightlifting records as a sophomore, and he was NFL strong. And and, in almost every other offensive tackle prospect is not once they get to the league, They, they need that full season or so to get that. I think Jenkins is relatively close. He's longer and he's a good athlete. I really like the quick sets um, because he's pretty good with them. That's where they're just kind of jumping into the defensive end. They're not sliding, kick-sliding vertically, which they absolutely do need to do once they get to the NFL, any offensive tackle prospect. I think Jenkins is fine in that area too, and I love how much of a finisher he is. I have Jenkins at... Number 21 overall, so a few, just a few spots ahead of Rashawn Slater. Number two overall, Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech. Twitch out of his stance is the first noticeable, impressive trait. He fires out low with under-control suddenness. He's also dynamic in the run game, quick and accurate at the second level, never flailing in air. His feet are underneath him but sudden. Completely scheme versatile would be awesome in his own blocking scheme. His burst off the snap is followed by quality speed and his smooth kick slide. Great athlete with a nice anchor backbend in classic grappling situations. Darsaw is rarely rarely bull rushed into the quarterback. He's a high caliber athlete who can win to the pass rushing apex or slide back inside if needed. Packs a decently powerful punch, will control blockers when needing to cut them off from the backside. He's aware of delayed blitzes and stunts. Athletic, adequately powerful, balanced blocker, ready for day one starter responsibilities. Similar to what I said about Jenkins, Darasaw gives you more length and more effortless power than Rashawn Slater. Watching him, I I didn't see him going crazy, leaning into his blocks or exerting a ton of energy in pass protection or when he was getting to a combo block. There was really only one year of elite production from him, so I guess that could be a red flag, but he's only 21 years old. He started as a true freshman in 2018, full-time starter in 2019, and then this past <clears throat> past year at Virginia Tech uh, played left tackle and played it amazingly. So Christian Darsaw, I'm a huge fan of his. I'm probably higher on Darsa than anyone out there. I have him at number 11 overall, only a few spots behind Penny Sewell, to be honest. I really, really like his film. I like that he was dominating at a young age, that he is plenty long. Uh, Christian Darasaw, I think, is a plug-and-play high-end left tackle right away in the NFL. Number one is none other than Pene Sewell, of course. Here's what I wrote about him. Exceptionally twitchy, the most loose-hipped offensive tackle prospect to enter the NFL in a long time. And that's amazing because of how much girth and length he has. Incredible change of direction and balance. It's a godsend for the run game because of those attributes. Sewell is a dancing bear with a heat-seeking helmet to find second-level defenders. For as switchy as he is, his sustained speed isn't as impressive, which leads him to trying to quick-set most of the edges he faces. Loves to be the aggressor, and that's almost always a winning philosophy for him. But at times, he gets a little lungy in pass protection if he has to be patient. And he doesn't create a super wide arc to the quarterback because his kick-slide needs more refinement. I noticed a few erratic moves to the second level for the run game too. Great, but not overwhelming power, somewhat susceptible to effective counters, but has tremendous recovery skills because of his athletic gifts. He's basically worth the hype and is still very young with only two years of college football experience, but his traits are ahead of his technique, especially in pass protection. So for everything that you've heard about Penny Sewell, that probably reads a little bit more negatively. But I, I really wanted to pick him apart like I would any other prospect. I did not go in, just watch the game and said, oh, yeah, he's amazing. I, I I noticed some of the erratic lunges in pass protection and to the second level. But few and far between. We're not talking about a recurring issue in those phases for Penne Sewell. And he was only 19 years old in 2019 when he was playing there at Oregon, completely shutting down Pac-12 edge rushers. And our Pac-12 edge rushers really preparing you that well for the NFL? Not as much as they would be in the ACC or the SEC or even the Big Ten. So I really, really like Penny Sewell as a prospect at like 6'4", 6'5", 330. His movement skills are through the roof. He has Hall of Fame upside, truly. All pro early in his career upside. But I, I do think he does need some technical work, and he'll probably get that once he gets to the NFL. I have him as my number eight overall player, uh, my number one offensive tackle, Penny Sewell. Jumping over because I've handled all of the defensive side, corner, safety, edge, D-line, and linebackers, we're going to go tight ends. The tight end group's not very good, but I think there's some good value selections. And these are, All these scouting notes are going to read a little bit shorter. Um, because there's just not as much to write about, especially because no one blocks at the tight end spot in today's college game or outside of maybe George Kittle and Rob Gronkowski in the NFL either. My number five tight end, and some of these names are going to say who? Noah Gray from Duke. back who runs good sudden routes. Change of direction skill is one of the best in the entire tight end class. He's not a speedster or a yards after the catch type. Actually holds up well in the blocking game. Lack of production is worrisome, but the athletic traits are there for him to get open on short to intermediate passes, and he has good hands. Gray is not a rebounder type, but can be a useful tight end three or low end tight end two in the NFL. So that may be the first time you've heard of Noah Gray. I have him at 209 overall, so we're talking late sixth early seventh round so I I don't think he's amazing relative to other players in the class but he had a really good pro day three cone was under seven seconds if I'm not mistaken let me check that but either way he plays like someone that does have that type of agility his three cone was 6.90 seconds at six foot three and 240 pounds, I'm fine with that size. You don't need to be a gigantic target. And I think the way that the NFL has shifted toward being separation-based for pass catchers, that's like a good size for a tight end. Ran 4.62, so not crazy fast, but not super slow. 35-inch vertical. Broad jump wasn't very good. 9.7. But if you can get open short to intermediate level and be a reliable separator there at the tight end spot, as an H back because he kind of mostly played as kind of behind the line of scrimmage as an H back type. And you're getting that in the sixth or seventh round, that is a value pick all day. Noah Gray from Duke, my number five tight end in this draft class. Number four, Hunter Long from Boston College. Here the scouting report on him, or here is the scouting report on him. Because of what he provides as a blocker, he has a case for being the most complete tight end in the class really gets after it in the trenches and is a good blocker in space too. He has the length and size to win in that respect, and he stays with his assignment through the play on a regular basis. Used often down the field despite average speed and noticeably tight hips. Runs very high with an unusual stride. Long is not a separator, but because he got plenty of experience running multiple routes, he's pretty good running them. Large catch radius, but not a rebounding monster. He will go up and get it occasionally. There's some power with his yards after the catch game, but he's not a game changing type, just a tight end prospect with a high floor. So for as much as I said, no one's blocking Hunter long does give you a little bit of blocking prowess. And I just like the fact that he produced like his entire career, like the the coaching staff for whatever reason thought that, Hey, we need to feature this guy in our passing offense. And of course, At Boston College, they just had A.J. Dillon before last season. They wanted to run the football a lot. He's 6'5", 254, almost 34-inch arms. The rest of the workout was solid, not amazing, 4'7", 122-inch broad jump is pretty good, 10-foot, 2-inch broad jump. That's solid. That's in the 88th percentile among tight ends that have been at the Combine. Obviously, Hunter Long was not, but have been at the Combine starting in 1999. So that's... It's a pretty explosive player um, off the snap. I don't think he's very fast. I don't think he's sinking his hips and creating separation. You can throw him the football, though, anywhere in his vicinity. And most of the time, Hunter Long will come down with the football. He's not a specialist as a rebounder like I wrote in my scouting report, but he's a good player. Where I have Hunter Long, much higher than Noah Gray, 154 overall. So that's like early fifth round. Um, he's probably going to go a little earlier than that, but I think everyone realizes for the second straight year, the tight end class is not very good. Number three, Brevin Jordan from Miami. Won't consistently generate separation in the NFL, but his burst off the line of scrimmage could get him some early advantages in his routes. Sustained speed is average to slightly above average for the position. After the catch, he is very slippery and displays good contact balance. Smaller size and length could make him more of an H-back at the next level. Blocking, unlikely to be a strong suit. His hands are good, useful, but unspectacular prospect who should stick around for a while but won't ever be a legitimate game changer. I'm a little lower on Brevin Jordan than most. I think he's definitely a yard after the catch specialist, but his pro day was not very good. And just watching his film, watching him move, I didn't see like someone that was so much better than his opposition. When it, came, when it was coming to athleticism and creating after the catch. I think at just under 6'3 and 247 pounds with 4.68 speed, yeah, he's going to create after the catch. You're going to throw him a drag route, and he might stiff arm a linebacker and make one cut, make a safety miss, and pick up a 10-yard gain. But is he going to be George Kittle? Is he going to be Travis Kelsey? I think those players were high-level athletes that were way ahead in terms of their yak prowess once they were in college and obviously once you get to the NFL it's a lot more difficult to make defenders miss to break tackles I like Brevin Jordan I think if you really need a tight end and your offense is probably more west coast than it is air raid Brevin Jordan in the middle of the draft would make perfect sense I have him at 118 overall next tight end the number two tight end you probably know if you are listening to this podcast Pat Friermuth from Penn State hulking size, and good running back-like abilities after the catch. As a separator, he leaves a good amount to be desired. Slower transitions out of his breaks than what is needed from a truly threatening pass-catching tight end today. Adequate as a blocker and does have the frame and willingness to get better in that area. His yak is his strong suit. The route running at the short parts of the field are still a work in progress. I don't know if Pat Frymuth was, like, hurt or something in 2020. I just didn't see the same type of dynamic athlete that he showed in 2019. But at 6'5 and 251, you get more size and similar, but not quite as good, yak capabilities to Brevin Jordan. So I think he's got good hands. The, The catch radius is there. He's not a big leaper. He's not Mike Kosicki, who is from Penn State. In that regard, I think he'll just be a solid tight end, too, for most of his career. Pat Frymuth from Penn State. I have him 104 overall. So early fourth round, I think that is exactly what makes sense for him. Got a lot more buzz and probably will go a little higher than this. Being a fourth round pick, that's where I have him valued. And, of course, number one overall, Kyle Pitts. This is the longest scouting report I have at the tight end class, of course. I just was so much fun writing this up. New age tight end prototype. Tall, athletic, sleek mover who runs routes like a wide receiver but can mix it up as a blocker was surprisingly used in line a fair amount at Florida and has held his own in that regard. Super savvy route runner who changes speeds, uses a variety of head, shoulder, and hip fakes to create separation, although his burst, speed, and agility can generate space frequently. Enormous catch radius and possesses huge hands, plays to every inch of his frame, advanced in his handwork to defeat press coverage, or defenders who try to jam him early in the route. Routinely made a difficult catch over the middle, despite immediate contact. Pitts is a gazelle after the catch with good contact balance, rare to see him go down on first contact. He has a nice arsenal of releases to beat physical press coverage, not many holes to his game, and will add a little more ball. And with a little more bulk, he can be an all-pro type at the tight end position. That last part, he doesn't really need to add any bulk if he wants to be more of a traditional tight end uh that's what he could ultimately do add some more bulk to his frame but in today's NFL i mean we're talking almost 66 245 with over 33 inch arms almost an 84 inch wingspan ran 444 at his pro day the vertical and the broad weren't that good or i guess the broad was 129 inches 97th percentile tight end the vertical strangely was not 33 and a half, that's only the 57th percentile. Three cone and the short shuttle were in the 57th and 54th percentile. So not like crazy workout, not a Calvin Johnson or a Vernon Davis type workout, but we're talking about someone that on the field is just the best player on the field when he's on there. Uh, Even dating back to 2019, there were some good Florida receivers last year. Van Jefferson, Freddie Swain, both got drafted. Kyle Pitts was the best player in that receiver group last year as a sophomore. He's still very young, gives you everything that you want at the tight end position. I really don't see a clear-cut flaw to his game. I have Kyle Pitts at number six overall. And on that, a little nitpicking note, and anyone that is a uh, faithful listener knows about my position addition that I do, Number six overall for a tight end, and yes, basically a wide receiver, is about as high as he should go. I'm not buying this number two overall hype. Even if you're a little lower on Zach Wilson and Justin Fields or Trey Lance or even Mac Jones, quarterbacks are so much more valuable than a tight end. But maybe a team says, hey, you're 245, slim down into the 230s, get faster, play wide receiver. That's the case. Then there's a little bit more value there. But tight ends... We get excited about T.J. Hawkinson. We get excited about O.J. Howard. Uh, there is just like there is in this draft class in the NFL. There is George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, and I think now Darren Waller that are elite tight ends. The rest of the tight end position is just like blah. Like you can have some good seasons. Uh, Hawkinson had a pretty good year too. Logan Thomas came out of nowhere, had a pretty good season. There's just the gap between the top and like the fourth or fifth best tight end, like in this draft class with Kyle Pitts, is so huge. So, the tight end spot, it, it's going to be rare to see an offense funnel through a tight end, but maybe with Kyle Pitts, he kind of changes the game because he's basically a wide receiver, as we've heard all through the draft process. All right, that's all I have for today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. Tell your friends about this podcast, subscribe, rate, review, leave me a comment, tell me how. Amazing this podcast is, or how terrible it is, whatever you want. Any subscription helps me out quite a bit. We're getting very close to the NFL draft. I'm super pumped. I wish would be here on Thursday. It's been there. We have to wait a full another week and get into May. And again, lastly, I am doing all of the live grades for the CBS Sports.com draft tracker from round two through round seven. I've watched a ton of prospects. I'm trying to watch as many as I can. Some of those late round guys who could be picked. Get to the CBSSports.com draft tracker rounds two through round seven and even round one when Pete Prisco is doing the grades. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Chris DiPrasso.